1: Hello everybody and welcome to podcast and chill a special edition of veterans minimum that explores the stories often untold in the world of sports I'm your host timothy petropoulos and welcome to the very first episode of podcast and chill I'm so glad to have you with me today We are going to be exploring the nyc school system Specifically the sports system within the school system and the fight that one group of people is taking in order for all students To have equal access to sports when you think of New York City, you often think about a progressive city, especially when it comes to schools, but that's what they want you to see. According to a recent UCLA study, New York City is the most segregated school system in the entire country, and this shows up in every aspect of education, including sports. On average, black and Latino students in NYC attend schools with 10 less teams than white students, and there are over, get this, 20 thousand minority students in the city with no access to sports whatsoever today we're sitting down with brandon cardet hernandez david garcia rosen and matt diaz these people are leading the fight against school sports inequality suing the public school athletic league in new york city in in the supreme court of new york in order to get equal opportunities for sports for every kid in new york now before we get started a couple of notes full disclosure i work at the school that these people work at Brandon is the principal, David is the athletic director, and Matt is a student. In addition, just for some context, DOE stands for Department of Education, and PSAL, which is the governing body of the school sports system, it stands for Public School Athletic League, and they are that governing body in New York City. I'm excited for you guys to hear this interview. It's really uh, informative, and it really gives you an insight of how much they've had to work for this. So without any more ado, here we go so right now i'm being joined by brandon Carter hernandez the principal of the bronx academy of letters david garcia rosen uh the athletic director of the bronx academy of letters and matt diaz a student at the bronx academy of letters and so you guys we went over what this is all about but i could say it but it won't be the right thing because you guys have been working on this for so long david if you could just let us know like what exactly is the initiative you're working on in this movement what's it all about
2: so the Keep it really simple. Black and Latino students in New York City high schools don't have equal access to high school sports and specifically the Public School Athletic League. And it's been going on for a couple decades now. So when the big schools were broken up into small schools, the New York City Department of Education had no plan as to what to do and has pretty much just neglected the needs of black and latino student athletes over the past two decades to the point where we now have a system that white students have these elaborate sports programs 30 40 teams and then students particularly at segregated schools often have nothing at all or if they're lucky a couple teams but we just have a totally separate unequal high school sports system right now
1: so you said big school small school for those of them, for those of us who don't know, uh, New York City was kind of is kind of revamping the school system, and when they went into these schools and they called them failing schools, as uh, failing in quotes, they broke them up into into smaller schools, um, and like you said, there was no plan. What kind of do you think that's the major effect that has taken control
3: of this? That is the major key point. I think it's it's a little more complicated than that for sure. I think there was great intention behind creating small schools. It allowed um, a lot of schools that were struggling and not serving students in the right way to tune in and focus on a smaller population of kids. An unintended consequence for sure is how do you create big, robust programs? That's in sports, that's in the arts, that's in a lot of different areas, things that we think about when most of us think about our, our traditional high school experience. How do you keep those programs alive? The question here is, for how long has the Public School Athletics League and the Department of Education known that one of the unintended consequences of trying to shift academic outcomes for kids and create these really small schools, one of the unintended consequences was that there were kids who were disproportionately impacted, and those kids, based on the data that we found, are black and Latino. So so what you're basically saying is that uh, because
1: because of race the DOE and and racism is something that's being talked about all the time and the in the DOE and the PSAL uh there's there's no difference right racism is there the systematic ty- type of thing and maybe it's not in the view of the public but it's happening uh what are some ways that the PSAL itself is making this happen systematically
2: so i think one of the most difficult parts about this in 2018 is Back in the day, racism was right in your face, right? There's the black water fountain. There's the white water fountain. There's the black school. There's the white school. And now it's different, right? Now it's facially neutral policies that have a disparate impact on black and Latino students. So there's a few things that went down over the past couple of decades. One, when small schools first were formed, the PSAL literally was telling us we're not designed for you. Mm. So we would call them, because I've been working in the DOE for 20 years, so I was there when this started, I would call the PSAL and say, hey, like I'm at a new school, I'm at Marie Curie High School, we're brand new, we have zero sports, what do I do? How do I, I have kids that are asking me for sports, and I would call the PSAL and they'd be like, oh, we're we're not designed for you. Like, don't even bother calling, don't even bother asking. And so that was going on for many, 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 many years. Um, And then, each year you would have more small schools and you'd have another population of kids who are at schools without sports. So one, it was just pure neglect, like pure lack of vision as to what to do. And then even when they became aware of the problem, right? Because we had students in 2014 that were taking over city hall, that were disrupting city council hearings, that were screaming about this all over the newspapers, in the New York times, in the daily news, everywhere. And even then, They still didn't fix the problem. They still didn't give schools teams. So when we ask for a team, we don't get it. So we've been begging for a junior varsity basketball team. We have kids that have been writing Donald Douglas at the PSAL asking for it, and they just simply deny it in a completely opaque process that no one understands. And then to top it off, if you don't have a facility, if you don't have a field, or if you don't have enough kids, for example – we have a lot of kids here that want to play football, but we have 350 high school kids like we would need almost every boy who's eligible to play on the football team. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a complete lack of vision. We've provided solutions to the PSAL, but they just refuse to be creative and innovate.
1: So I, I see Brandon actually looking at some numbers right now. Um, if you could share with us, like what what are the odds that a white student goes to a school that has more opportunity rather than a black or Latino student?
3: So we know that. Based on the data that Black and Latino students average fifteen sports teams at a, at their school, where White students in New York City average twenty five, this speaks to two issues. One, New York City is the most segregated school system in the United States, which where, would take a lot of people by surprise because you think New York City, you think diversity, you think liberalism, you know what I mean? Yeah, you think a lot of people move here with that in mind. They move here thinking that it's this this. You know, place where people are integrated and people are working together and living together and going to school together, it's part of the attraction, right? It's why you want to be in this robust city with all of these different people. But the reality is there are deeply segregated neighborhoods in New York City, but even more so by a lot of other issues that we're probably not going to talk about here today. New York City schools in 2016 by UCLA Report um, were named as the most segregated school system in the country that's more segregated than schools in the Deep South. South, where probably some of our own mental models would lead us to believe um, have some of the most segregated schools.
1: And especially with, with sports, uh, when you see that, there's, there's a lot of, I, I don't know, uh, stereotypes that when you think of black and Latino students, you think of sports. Like that stereotype is out there. And the fact that they're taking them away, it's, it's another way that is kind of blinded from the public.
2: Yeah, and another alarming statistic too, since we're talking about the numbers, is you have 20,000 black and Latino students at a school with zero sports teams, and black and Latino students are twice as likely as a white student to land at a high school with no sports teams, and that really also under speaks to the situation because when we say zero sports teams yeah that's alarming but that doesn't even include all the kids that go to a school with one handball team mm. or like one track team or um you know a school like ours here where for our boys they have three teams right one each season if it's not the sport that you like or that you're good at well sorry you know the psal's got nothing for you
3: there's also this other issue that you know we found as we've been looking at this data which is that when you make it a dollars and cents piece, the PSAL is actually spending $10 more on every white student than they do on black and Latino students in the city. So yes, there's this question about who has access to sports and who doesn't, but there's also a financial piece which and an implication there, right? Which is that we know taxpayers' dollars are going in greater numbers to per capita to white students than they are to black and Hispanic students. So you decided to do more than just protest this whole thing.
1: And spread awareness. You're actually taking legal action. Uh, This Thursday, you announced that. So, a couple of questions. Number one, what are the grounds basically for the lawsuit? Like, what are you exactly suing for? And also, just take us through that process behind the scenes, how much work went into it, and how the lawsuit kind of came to fruition.
2: Right. So, I'm not a lawyer, right? So, like, I can't speak to the ins and outs of the law. What I could say is that Thursday was a big day, right? Students like Matt Diaz and Lisa Parks and the group Integrate NYC um, sued the New York City Department of Education, specifically the Public School Athletic League and New York State Supreme Court, and the reason is because the Public School Athletic League is violating human rights law, right? Human rights law says that when we're talking about public, um, something public like the Public School Athletic League, right, high school athletics. Everyone should have equal access to it. And they're simply not doing that. And we've been really fortunate over the years to get a really large legal team behind this. So we have New York Lawyers for the Public Interest, Patterson, Belknap and Webb, Emory Selly, the National Economic Research Association. We have a huge team of people that have invested their time pro bono um, because they were alarmed by the data. So when I first showed this data to New York Lawyers for the Public Interest, they said they actually weren't used to seeing such alarming data. Like they were like, yeah, you know, normally it's like, you know, a couple percentage points here or there, but when you look at these charts, some of the access differences are 10, 20, 30%. I mean, these are alarming,
3: alarming numbers. There's 55 possible teams that are offered to the PSAL and in, through this data, we've been able to find that with every single one of those sports or almost every single one of those sports, white students have greater access to being able to be on those teams than black and Latino students in New York City. And I think two things really quick, we're talking about this lawsuit and the the brilliance of all of this is We're we're part of the organization, right? We believe in the Department of Education. We do this work. We serve kids every day. We believe in moving the needle for me, particularly for black and Latino students. And the lawsuit is not about intention. The lawsuit is actually about impact. So, uh, you know, people at the table may have different points of view around what is the intention of the DOE. I believe that the DOE is filled with really great people who show up every day to net results, to do good work, to have impact. but sometimes when we're not thinking big picture and we're not stepping back and thinking about unintended consequences of our decisions, we have really negative impact. And sometimes that impact is racist. And sometimes that impact is has real racial bias, implicit or explicit, and how it shows up and lives in the lives of people in New York City. I think one thing that's
1: that a lot of people maybe get confused about is uh, the difference between everyday racism and systematic racism. I think this is a good example because you're not saying that there's racist people working for the Department of Education, but the policies that are in place are implicitly racist, and that's and that's how that kind of happens. Uh, Matt, I want to ask you a question. Look, you're in high school. You could be doing regular high school things. Um, you could be, you know, doing Drake dances, playing Fortnite, what's, you know, whatnot. But you have your name on this legislation. You're actually the person represented as the person suing the Department of Education. Why did you want to get involved with this, and what's motivating
4: you? Um, I do actually play Fortnite. <laughs> but, um but thing that the thing that motivates me is like seeing other students going through it, like just hearing the stories of students that saying, I have a gymatorium mm-hmm. An auditorium with that's a gym that is slanted that you can't even play basketball in, is just like how do you go through that and like I just want I do this because I want um the people with suits and ties to learn and hear these stories and ask, them, ask themselves do they want to be in that position or do they want their kids to be in that position. And that's the life that a lot of black and Latino students, high school students, have to go through. And I really wanted to be the awareness and be the voice for those students.
1: Now this is something that's been around and no one's really done anything about it. Uh, you guys have taken that that leap so Brandon you've been a principal and a teacher and you, uh, David you've been a teacher you're an athletic director now you're you're an assistant principal as well director of school code. I know it's there you go it's, it's it's you know it's one of those he's a, he's a leader let's put it that way um how important is sports to kids uh you know there's one thing to just say yeah they can go out and play but what kind of impact does it have on their lives
2: right and that's the question everyone always asks like why would you care so much about this right like I get asked that All the time like why would you take students to go protest why would you risk being in the rubber room why would you go to the rubber room like you know it seems on face level a little crazy for you know people to take this much risk um for brandon to take this much risk it's because it's a program that actually turns dropouts into graduates it turns kids that are depressed into kids that are leaders sports has an impact and is a leverage point in a way that very few programs are in a school. So when you have students that are struggling and you could say to them, Hey, like you're not going to play basketball on Friday, unless you go apologize to the teacher you were disrespectful to, or unless you finish those three homeworks. In my 20 year career, I can't think of any other program that I could have that leverage point with. And so for me, seeing kids, literally at my other school, we didn't have baseball. And then when we got baseball, we fought for it. I actually had to create my own league to get it, but we had a baseball team finally. Kids who had dropped out came back to school. They literally came back in my office and said, heard we had a baseball team, now can I come back? Wow! Not only did they come back, one of the proudest moments of my career was we graduated them. They literally went from dropouts to graduates. So I'm not just saying that as some cliche phrase. I'm saying it because I watched it happen. And we see it here all the time with our athletes.
1: Uh, Matt, do you have any like have you seen it yourself
4: um I feel like personally um sports definitely like motivated me to do better um like in my personal life and academically as well um I saw when I had like my soccer season I came here more often I came to school more often and also like just having a team helped me like Have communication with my younger brother because having younger brothers is is tough and you always have to be the leader. You always have to like um, teach them the lesson and having sports in my life helped me like know these lessons Mm -hmm. and show these lessons to other people.
3: There's also this thing about sports, right? Sometimes when we're talking about like school athletics, we're only talking about the athlete. We're talking about like the kid who wants to play sports and those kids matter, right? Like that's who those are who are the lead plaintiffs in this lawsuit. That's why Matt's suing, that's why Lisa's suing, that's why these three other students are also suing, right? Like it's it matters to be able to have access to sports, but there's also this other thing that happens which is around community. Mm. And Your audience is that right. We want to talk about sports. We want to think about sports. We want to be part of it and cheer other people on. We get excited by seeing other people's talent. And in a school like ours in the poorest congressional district in the country there are few spaces that allow for community to develop, right? This is the sometimes this neighborhood isn't always the safest for our young people. And so when we can bring families together, when we can bring students together, when we can bring energy around the school and what we're doing, we can change the way kids and families experience the school we can change the way they think about the school what they think the school can do for them and then you're also just building a culture of celebration of excitement of joy and it turns what has historically been you know a place that is is mandatory to go to and show up you know like you just got to get through school to a place you want to be and you're excited about celebrating and and listen, winning is amazing, and so those moments of victory are incredible for young people, and they're incredible for families and for other students in the school, and then there's all of this incredible learning that happens when you lose, too, when you show up and you cheer someone on, even when they weren't at their best.
1: I, I think our relationship as well is the teachers and the students, right? Because I know that I'm a coach here, and I'm the coach of the Bronx Academy of Letters, and if you guys have listened to me, you know that I talk about my, my team all the time on the show, so... I know that I've built personal relationships with students that I would have never had, and that has helped me become a better teacher to those students, and not only them, to the students that I have that aren't in sports. Um, one of the reasons why I got an opportunity to, to be, a, be a coach here is because, David, you started a program uh, to get us some teams, and in order to do that, you had to combine three small schools. So it's us, it's uh, Eastern Bronx Academy, correct? And Dream Charter School. And Dream Charter School. And that team actually recently won the PSAL championship for softball in only its third year in existence. Um, what was that process like of getting that team started? Was there any pushback by the PSAL or the DOE? And what does it mean for the school to get that championship?
2: Well, you should know about how it started, right? Because you had that illustrious zero-win season to start off our <laughs> look, softball program.
1: I, I was only the guy who took the, who took the L's. Like <laughs> you, you had to get the team started. Yeah,
2: so look, the solution here is actually relatively simple. You take small schools that are geographically close to each other and you put them together into one program. When you do that, you have a larger student body, right? Because part of the issue here is how could a school with 350 kids have 44 teams, right? That's what we want. We not only want it legally because the Department of Education provides the kids at Tottenville High School, which is the whitest high school in New York City, 44 teams legally then every black and latino student has to have access to 44 teams now logically we can't have 44 teams at the bronx academy of letters we have 350 students do the math like you can't have 44 sports teams but our students have to have access to it so we've provided a solution not only in this litigation but we've been providing the solution for the past five years to the doe and we've started to do it here on our own so you take three schools you put them together the problem is These three schools by themselves don't make a large enough program. We need about 4,000 students to really have that full 44 team program and so what we're asking the DOE to do or in the litigation insisting that they do is basically draw geographic bubbles all around New York City and in each bubble or each circle you have 4,000 students and each one of those programs would have 44 teams so instantly every kid in New York City if they're a swimmer they get swimming if they play lacrosse they have lacrosse doesn't matter if there's 5 swimmers or 20 swimmers at their school every kid who wants to be on a team will have the shot to try out. And we're trying to do that here, but it's hard because I have to go out there and convince principals that this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And without the support of the PSAL, it's really hard to do that because schools are worried, well, maybe I'm going to lose my teams or maybe if I get involved in this, the PSAL might punish my school because, you know, they think we're doing something against what they want. And so it's, it's been hard. So some of our more natural partners in this area haven't partnered with us. So we have East Bronx Academy, which is pretty far from us. We have Dream Charter School, which is on the other side of the river. Um, So we're trying our best, but really what we need is the PSAL to support this and to mandate it that every small school be a part of a larger umbrella program.
1: And when you say that umbrella program, you mean just the small schools? Like the the schools that already have 4,000 kids, they're good... They're good to go. And that's the beauty
2: of our solution is no one's losing anything.
1: It doesn't cost any more money. You don't need any more
2: fields. Like this is a no brainer. It's, insane that it takes students like Matt to sue the Department of Education to get this to happen like could we just get in the room together with the PSAL and with the smart people over at Tweed and just fix this thing it is just it, its it blows my mind that we are now in the Supreme Court of the state of New York fighting about high school sports its, it's it really is the Twilight Zone
1: <laughs> um, so like you said it's the no brainer it's the smart thing to do but You know, obviously, every movement has its detractors, right? So what? there are people probably out there that say, look, I work hard. I pay my taxes. I want my tax money to go to my child's school district. And why should my hard-earned money go to some poor kid that I never met before? So what is it that you tell those people when they put up a fight against you.
2: Right, look, New York City is one district, right? I, I might tell them to go to the suburbs where your district is much smaller and your tax dollars go directly to your school, right? Like many districts in Westchester have four schools. You pay your taxes, they go to those. But New York City is considered one district. Staten Island, Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan. We're all one district. Your tax dollars go to New York City and by law need to be equitably distributed to every school, And it's just not happening.
1: So the battle has begun. Uh, This is only the first step in a battle. That's probably going to be a long process. Um, What do you hope to achieve from this? What do you hope to see as like the final ending point? Like, okay, we have won and
3: now everything is right. I have two goals. One is that we are able to really reimagine this system and the process for which black and Latino students across New York City have access to sports. And that's, there's a lot of creative solutions that have been put on the table to thinking about how to do this. We know that, you know, the denial rate for schools that are segregated, segregated, leaning towards black and Latino students is significantly higher than the denial rate for students, for schools in New York City with mostly whites, with white students. There are small schools who are figuring out how to make, sports programs work. But we also know that there's, you know, there's ideas on the table that would, you know, build coalitions among schools to create larger athletics program. There's a lot of solutions that if everyone gets to the table with an eye on equity, we can really create solves that will have a positive impact on kids. And, and my second goal, you know, as the principal of this school is around Lisa and Matt, right? Like I'm involved for them and with them. And I think there's some incredible learning that's happening in this. I don't, I couldn't stand by idle while students are asking me, how do we get a insert sports program? How do we get that program in our school? And for me to say like, we'll keep working on it and just kind of giving them the runaround. I think so often that's why kids feel really disconnected to school. It's just like everyone's giving you the runaround all the time and this we were able to do something different i wasn't going to give them the runaround. i had to say to them i don't know how you get that team i don't know what you have to do to be able to get a sports program like that in your school but there are all these things that you can do and that's why we started this coalition that's why there's young people involved and the leveraging of black and latino leadership and the growth that's happening for those individual students who are taking on the role of organizing against the place where they go to school like it's just really powerful and my commitment is to them that they're safe and that they're doing it in a healthy way and that they're doing it in a respectful way and that they're really like taking in the pulp like they're drinking the juice and taking the pulp they're doing getting all of the learning that is embedded in this incredible opportunity when you stand up like other civil rights leaders rosa parks like other young people like the little rock nine and ruby bridges who have fought for equity and fought for racial equity in schools
2: and this is really the tip of the iceberg right because we're talking about sports but when you look at small segregated schools the facilities are not as nice. I mean, you could literally go down the line, you know, you look at this facility here we're in. We're on three floors. We're spread out. We share a gym. We have a field that's not big enough for a soccer game. It's not big enough for a football game. This is not a high school facility. But when you go to the schools that have white students, you see that they are in real high school facilities. When you look at all different aspects of what it means to attend a segregated school, it's not equal. And, you know, Mayor de Blasio's new slogan now is fairest big city. All right, let's make it happen. Like, like, I'm with that vision. Chancellor Carranza, who's out there now, really, with his words being a breath of fresh air, let's make it happen like this is a moment in time right now where we could fix something that's not the biggest problem ever right we're talking about high school sports we're not asking to reconfigure facilities or reconfigure access to ap courses or reconfigure some of these large or you know integrate the specialized high schools like those are really big you know controversial issues that require moving mountains this doesn't require moving mountains so i i think it's a real moment where we're going to see what direction Chancellor Carranza is going to take us in and I really really hope he, he takes us in the right direction.
4: A goal that I want to see after this, after all this happens and finishes, I want to see that my brother can like play the sport that he always wanted to. He always wanted to play football even though he's like a stick. Um, he, I, I told him that he should go to Bronx Letters, he came to the middle school um and he always wanted to play football and he plays for the middle um the middle school football team and if he goes to the high school he may be or not like be able to play football and that might change his um view of wanting to go to this um high school because like at the end of the day the thing that motivates him to go to school is what he wants and it's the sport um and football, if, if football is not in the school, then he might like say, I don't want to go to the school. And that shouldn't be, that shouldn't happen. So
2: yeah, and no, I could piggyback on that too, man. We hear that all the time, right? Like, like, I want my kid to go to Bronx Letters. They have this incredible graduation rate. They're this incredible, loving community with, you know, loving leadership and loving teachers, but you don't have a track team. And no parent should have to make that decision. Like, oh, this school's incredible, but I got to send them to a school that's not so incredible so my kid could play
3: football. There, This is a huge issue, even if it feels local or if you're listening to this and you're in like California and you're like, well, why is talking about public school athletics in New York City? Why does that matter to me? It matters because it's it's this really large impact on our society. There's one point one million kids in New York City. It's the largest school system in the country, which only makes it more alarming that it's also the most segregated. But what we know that what we know happens through school, it's why I show up every single day, is that there's this incredible identity formation that happens when kids come and learn. And some of that identity happens when they're like in their history class or in their science classroom, like figuring out I'm super brilliant. But there's all of this other stuff that happens. That's about the interactions that happen in the hallways. That's the interactions that happen at lunch. That's what happens on the field. That's what happens when you're, spect- you're a spectator of a sport or listening to the school musical. Like there's all these other ways that you figure out who you are. And if we're depriving specifically Black and Latino students of those opportunities, we are hurting our larger culture. We are really reducing the ways that Black and Latino people can see themselves and understand themselves and develop. And if there are students in New York City who get better access to that identity formation, we have a really big issue. And what we've seen from this data and what we've seen through this coalition and what Matt and Lisa are helping us do as a city is ask the hard questions of like, why? Why is this happening and how can we fix it so like you said there's a lot of diversity and just equality fights going
1: on right now do you th- have you like thought about the fact that this could be a domino piece that helps the rest of these larger i don't want to say larger because like you said this could be super large but some of these bigger more broad uh, things like like segregation like access to ap classes uh, how could this be that first domino
3: piece in that we might not be the only school system in the country where black and Latino students are disproportionately impacted by the way that the, the, funding for public school athletics is distributed across schools. And so what we know about our legal system, and this country is amazing, and the legal system can really help us access equity here, is that sometimes these smaller cases, or even a big case, like a New York City lawsuit like this, can help other places, other cities and other states tune into their own issues. And once other people are tuning into their own issues, we start to have a domino effect of impact. And then it starts to raise questions about other things that are also equally targeted, whether we're talking about arts or we're talking about AP classes or we're talking about air conditioners. We start to look at who has what and who doesn't and how do we make sure everyone is getting the same stuff so that we have an equal system. And also I wanted to like, I did this because
4: I wanted to give high school students and young students um, a platform for they could raise their voices. I am in this lawsuit to speak upon all high school black and latino students and basically i want to do that for like every state and every student that is black and latino in any like in california and maine and anywhere um basically see what's wrong with the society they're living in and the school system that they're living in and like be brave and like just do what you have to do because not everybody's going to be on your side and no one's gonna help you to be there. You just have to have the courage and you have to have the team that you wanna create to do what you have to do.
3: It's also like, it's incredible, right? Like this issue has existed for a long time, but it's young people, it's Matt and other young people who are the folks who are suing the Department of Education. And for me as a principal, it's why I couldn't not be involved, right? Like I had to be involved. I have to put my money where my mouth is and supporting them just makes sense. And and I really do believe this is how change happens. This is how we will see impact. And it might take a year of being wrapped up in the court system. But eventually, you know, the the data and the evidence that we have to support this lawsuit and and what the claims that are being made, they're compelling. And I I just believe the results are going to be in favor of black and Latino students. And we're going to access equity, which is really in favor of everyone. So let's say you're listening to the podcast
1: right now. There's a person listening and they're, they want to get involved. They start to think, hey, wait a minute. You know, my school doesn't have these things. And I just thought it was kind of regular, but now I'm, I'm noticing it's not regular. Uh, what's your advice? Where do you start? What do you do to make this a change in the place where you want to see the change?
2: I mean, I think one thing is to join the Fair Play Coalition, right? So if you go to fairplayforall.com, um, you could see a place in there to reach out to the folks that are working on this issue. So if you're at a school without sports, reach out to the coalition, join us um, in this fight.
3: You can also follow us on Instagram at FairPlayNYC, NYC, which will be really cool because we're just trying to build momentum, right? We want people clicking on the photos and telling us that what your experience is and the bigger this community gets of folks who are fighting for sports equity, the greater our impact is going to be. So fair play for all NYC follow us on the gram. Um, Also like if you
4: don't, if you don't want, because like not everybody's in the city, New York city. Um, And if you're like a student or if you're like an adult and you see that there's like an issue, try to have like a, how we started. I feel like we started off with, just students and teachers saying that this is a problem, and we just had to outreach to other people that thought the same and um, have our voices heard just basically just create a team because not everybody is going to have a fair play in their state, and not everybody is going to have the student being the lead plaintiff. So, like, just get your team together, get your research, your research, and do what you have to do.
3: But it's also... Like, don't accept the status quo. So, like, if you're... Because I think in New York City, what has happened to us is for so long, we're just kind of used to seeing it, right? Like, well, of course they wouldn't have a a football team. They're in the Bronx. Like, of course they're not going to have tennis. They're in Brownsville in Brooklyn. Like, of course they're not going to have lacrosse. And we've just normalized that, like, some people in the city are going to have this and some people are not. And we have to, like push all of our own mental models that have allowed us to think, like, yeah, 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 the black and Latino school is going to have basketball, and the white school is going to have basketball and tennis, and, like, that's not okay. Every kid deserves to have access to all of it, and we can make that happen. It's not unreal. So I want to thank you guys for for coming on and explaining to us that this is is a fight
1: that, you know, I'm obviously... I can't be completely unbiased. I work at the school. I see it every single day. Um, but like you said, they're not taking away anything from the schools that currently have these things. They're just adding on. So it, it really just seemed like a win-win situation for all. Um, so if you guys want to get involved in the fight, uh, if you guys can say one more time, the website, the Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, to get involved. And maybe if someone wants to you know, write uh, personally to maybe a congressman or something like that, where should their uh, letters or emails go?
2: Yeah, I mean I think the the f- decision maker at this point is Chancellor Carranza right I think he's our best hope for change here so you could email Chancellor Carranza Wh- um, Who is the
1: the email the e- I'm sorry who, who is the the New York City uh, the the leader of the New York City Board of Education
2: yeah, yeah. and I think it's New York's NYC Chancellor at schools. but we'll double check that um, before we finish here and you know I did want to add you know just one thing that this is not just about a lawsuit right Mm -hmm. I mean like so we have the lawsuit which is part of the fight here but this has also been a campaign that's kind of circled through King's six steps of nonviolent social change right and we're hopeful at this moment that we're in back into a place of negotiation and reconciliation hopefully which is what we're trying to get to But I also want to just put on the table that if we have to return to direct action, we will. Because that is part of any civil rights campaign. If the people in power don't do the right thing, don't come to the table, don't negotiate, don't make the changes that need to happen, then you have to consider other options, which is what we did back in 2014, 2015, where we initiated a direct action campaign. And so, you know, I think that, again, today, like, I'm hopeful that we're in a place of negotiation that this litigation is going to bring us there but i also just want to put on the table that this is a cycle and if we have to go back to direct action we will
1: so when you say when you say direct action can you elaborate on that like what's what's you're obviously not going to lose this fight losing is not an option so what's what's that direct action look like
2: look i mean that's something that we teach the students right so when we did it in 2014 2015 we taught them kings six steps of nonviolent social change and let them be creative as to what that looks like. It's not really for us, the adults to tell them they're the ones that are being deprived of the right to play sports. Mm. Right? So like, I can't sit here and tell Matt next year, like we come back in September and this thing is in the courts, right? Cause we know the courts is, could take years. Right? So what are we going to all sit on our hands and just wait? So like, let's see what happens. But I think what we do as educators is we teach, options we teach about Martin Luther King right we take a day off of school Mm -hmm. and you know I always find that ironic that we take a day off for Martin Luther King Day but then if we teach the kids how to protest or how to do direct action then somehow we're doing something wrong Um, so I think that that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to teach them about King's six steps of nonviolent social change and then let them really think about what would be the right way to 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 do direct action if it's needed. Like again, I hope I really 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 hope we don't go there. There's a lot of risk associated with direct action. There's a lot of sacrifice, you can get in trouble, right? Those are not things we want for our youth. We just want them to have the same access that white kids have.
1: So, obviously these guys are involved uh, if you want to get involved, there's many ways to get involved. Uh, if you guys could let them know one more time uh, where they can go if they want to get involved and who to contact
3: uh, if they want to, be in, to get in their direct campaign mode. Website, www.fairplayforall.com. Is that 4-F-O-R F-O-R or the yep. or number 4?
2: for yep. and I think F-O-R. that F-O-R. links probably to the social media, but if yeah. it doesn't... It's and if
3: it doesn't, it does link, but if you want to follow us on Instagram, NYC. FairplayNYC.
2: And on Twitter as well. That would be the
1: handle there too. Matt, you play Fortnite on Twitch or anything? You want, to pay, want some followers? No?
4: Um, I don't have Twitch. No. <laughs> 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 but I do play Fortnite. <laughs>
1: All right, guys. Thank you so much for your time. And the fight has just begun. Um, and that's it. Thank you so much for your time, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. So obviously this fight is not over. It is only just the beginning. Shout out to David. Shout out to Brandon. Shout out to Matt for giving me their time and for taking on a fight that not many people are willing to take on. Uh, Suing the DOE while simultaneously working for the DOE obviously has some career repercussions. So shout out to them for putting everything on the line here uh, for their voice to be heard and fighting for the future people um, without much regard for themselves. Uh, If you want to know more about this, Uh, You can go to fairplayforall.com, as they said. Uh, That's the website. Also, the New York Times just ran a piece about this. They ran a story on Thursday where they interviewed Matt and his classmate Lisa. They are the two lead plaintiffs in the lawsuit. And if you want to follow me, of course, Tim Patrop on all social media outlets, but only if you're feeling real, real. Real frisky. Uh, if you want to follow the rest of the guys, you know the deal. Veterans Minimum is the handle. On Instagram, it's Veterans underscore Minimum. San Agado Studio is the handle on Twitter. And that is it. Thank you guys so much for your time. Please get involved in the fight, and I will see you soon. Peace.
5: The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better.